Glad everyone is here today. How many of you are happy that Christmas is almost here? How many people are happy that Christmas is almost over? Yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the general sentiment. You know, it's, it's, it's a tough time, even if you do love Christmas. I was thinking it was kind of unusual in that last psalm, which was written by John Lennon and Yoko Ono. You know, we went through a time when it was bad to say Merry Christmas. You were forcing your beliefs on someone. They weren't even believers. They even said Merry Christmas. I mean, think about that, how society changes over time and how, how the Christmas season affects us all differently. You know, one of the things that we've been, you know, I want to talk about this morning is, is depression and how some of that affects us at Christmas and things. But I want to tell you this morning, um, do you ever have one of those Sundays where you just feel deeply spiritual and like God's really telling you something that you just have to get across? If you're expecting that to this morning, you're going to be disappointed, Okay. <laughs> This is going to be a happy day. This is going to be a light day, uh, intentionally so. We're going to talk about some shepherds and what their role was in the story of Christ, which is cool because they were, you know, it's encouraging because they were folks like us. They were just regular folks, most of them, a shepherd was. And I want to talk about this this morning. Have some encouragement today and a few lighthearted things. But I do know that people suffer during this holiday season. And one of the things we're always reminded of is to think of those that, that perhaps it at Christmas time, are struggling with things. They've had, you know, tragedies in their lives and stuff. And I was really moved by that this week and was thinking, you know, that there, there are people that have had some just tragic losses around this time. You know, I know of, of one person that it was horrible for them. Someone that meant a lot to them, and you're not going to believe this, this story probably, was mauled by a tiger three times. Now, some of you may know who this might be. Who would have been mauled by a tiger at least three times? My dear Alabama fan. So I knew Heath would be struggling during this season, and I wanted to offer him a special gift that, that would, would, help him, would help him through this time of year. I know, I know you guys are not used to being unhappy at this time of year. Some of us Tennessee fans can probably come and, and console you. He has a box of tissues there for his own personal use. And what else? And a Snickers bar. Yes, that will get him through. And what does your Snickers bar say? Sideline. Sideline, yes. I am glad I've got friends that are good sports. We have been trading barbs back and forth. It's good to see when somebody else is down just like your team is. It makes you feel better about yourself. Uh, Tennessee is certainly not going to do anything great. But I hope that sets the mood this morning. I want us to have a good time this morning. I want us to to think about some things that are happy about Christmas. I like the song. I think that was a good setup. Ken did a fantastic job with announcements. He even got applauded. His announcements were so positive. So, hey, what, what more can we do this morning? Let's get off to a great start. But seriously, let's do have a word of prayer that God will at least speak to our hearts this morning along these lines. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this day. I thank you for the Christmas season. Lord, we thank you for all those gathered here today. Lord, we have guests and, and things here that are uh, from out of town. So many of us have family members and things visiting. And God, we just thank you for this time of year where family can get together and we can celebrate your birth, Lord. And we just pray today, Lord, through this message that we'll learn more about some average folks in the Bible and how you used them, how you used a lowly occupation, Lord, but still was able to teach even through that and inspire through what they were doing. And God, I just pray all these things in your name. Amen. And it is good to see everyone here. Murphy Legg has brought her entire family here this morning, I believe. Hey, how are y'all? Fantastic to see guests here. We're always glad of that. And if you know, if you have family members, guests in town, whatever, be sure and come tomorrow night. Uh, tomorrow night, our Christmas Adam service. I don't know if we explained that today. I try and explain that every week. Uh, Christmas Adam service is because Adam came before who? Eve. We don't like to do things on Christmas Eve. That's a busy time, especially if you have small children, et cetera. Uh, Santa is very busy that night and can't come often. So we, we have a lot of things going on. So we came up with the idea to do it on the 23rd every year. And it has worked great, and we love it. Now, one of the things this year that we're doing is afterwards we will have finger foods and stuff, snacks, things like that. So everybody, please bring your favorite Christmas snacks and such. Uh, we haven't announced that a lot, just kind of decided we had several people asking to do that. So we will do that after the Christmas Adam service. Again, another great time to come together, remember the Lord's birth, and, and have a great time celebrating. Well, today, as I've alluded to, we're going to talk about shepherds. What do you know about shepherds? First of all, what do we know about sheep? What, what, they, need guidance. they need guidance. I am a big sheep then, for sure. I definitely need guidance. What's the reputation? What do we think about sheep? 
I'm not sure how I just identified myself with sheep and Leslie immediately came to stupid. I'm not, <laughs> that's what, yeah, they are stupid. That is the reputation. Yeah. Harriet Constable in, a, in an essay about sheep says, by, by reputation, sheep are stupid, defenseless, and harmless creatures that mope about on hillsides doing not very much. They're good at two things, being, being eaten and producing wool. Reality, sheep are actually surprisingly intelligent with impressive memory and recognition skills. They build friendships, stick up for one another in fights, and feel sad when their friends are sent to slaughter. They are also one of the most destructive creatures on the planet. Wow. Now that's just to kind of give you a background of the... So if sheep are intelligent, are they easier or harder to take care of? Harder. Anybody ever had a smart dog? A smart dog is much smarter than the owner. Yeah, yeah. Heath over here's got one. He he is. Yeah, you can just leave that. Leslie's even picking on him now. I'm sorry, Heath. We'll find somebody else to pick on. We'll we'll pick somebody else. Yeah, we know. And you can tell those of us that love dogs when we say we know the dog. You know, like like well, it's like it's like a family member. But yeah, you've ever had a dog? that was smarter than you. My dog was smart. The first thing he, he was a golden retriever. The first thing he learned to do was to go over to that gate. And it was a four foot fence. He would go over to the gate and he would take his muzzle and go, Doop! flip the gate thing. Go. Anybody had a dog that could do that? You know, so sometimes there's, there are smart animals that are smarter than us. Those are always a challenge to guide, aren't they? If somebody is smart, it is always questioning Sometimes too smart for their own good. Do you think God looks at his children like that sometimes and asks, why are you trying to figure all this out? I've got you on a path. I'm guiding you. Just let me guide you. But no, as sheep, we often want to go. Not only do we fight amongst ourselves, we fight God sometimes, don't we, with what his plans are. We'll say, hey, God, I don't want to do that, thinking we're smarter than God. You know, if, if God called me to be a shepherd, I would certainly question that, wouldn't you? But this reputation of sheep and shepherds, and Leslie did a good job of bringing that out. Throughout Scripture, shepherds vary in how they're received publicly. Most of the time that we think about sheep and shepherds, they are in a negative light. In fact, we'll, we'll get into this a little bit later. In Egypt, they were absolutely hated, sheep and shepherds. And do you know why? Because of their destructive nature. The Egyptians were farmers. What is any worse than having all your farmland and somebody's sheep getting in and eating everything that you've raised? That's one of the reasons there's always been this constant back and forth between people that were raising sheep and people that were landowners is because the sheep will come in and they will graze and they will absolutely wipe out pastures and things like that. How many of you guys like old Western movies? (coughs) Excuse me. Guys and ladies. I know a lot of ladies like that as well. In the old West, I've seen... Uh, I can't remember which particular TV show it was I was watching. But in this particular episode, the fight was between a guy that was a shepherd and cattle landowners. And the problem was when he brought his sheep into town, man, he was just eating up all the resources his sheep would. And so they hated him. They were trying to get rid of him. So even into you know early U.S. history, there's been this relationship with sheep and shepherds being the outcasts in society. Kind of makes me feel better about them, doesn't it, you? You ever feel like you don't fit in? Maybe everybody's not like you. It's okay. It's okay. God sometimes has a purpose in that, and we're going to explore some of that. So here's a trivia question. Who was the first shepherd in the Bible? Oh, I heard it back there. Abel. Abel was the first shepherd. How did turning out for being a shepherd work for Abel? Yeah. Genesis 4.1. Now, Adam and Eve, his wife, Adam knew his Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother, Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain, a worker of the ground. And if you will remember, there was some controversy over their gifts to God. Abel's gift was approved. Cain's was not. Cain became enraged about that fact. And the first shepherd lived a very short life, didn't he? Cain took him out. Now, one of the things I thought was very interesting is you would think that would kind of do in the trade of shepherding a little bit. You know, that already they weren't well liked. There was some jealousy about them. But listen to this quote from a book by Randy Alcorn. It says, during the time of the patriarch, shepherding was a noble occupation. 
Shepherds are mentioned early in Genesis 4.20 where Jabal is called the father of those living in tents and raising livestock. In nomadic societies, everyone, whether a sheik or slave, was a shepherd. The wealthy sons of Isaac and Jacob tended flocks. Would you have thought that? Here are the people that we think are the outcast of society. The patriarchs, the, the, the earliest mention we have of people in the Bible and what their lifestyles were and what they did, they were shepherds. They, had, they also had cattle, most of them, but they had sheep and they were raising large flocks of sheep and that's how they were making their money. <coughs> but interestingly enough, look at this fact about um, Abel. Ada gave birth to Jabal, who was the first of those who raise livestock and live in tents. That was a direct descendant of Cain. Cain hated his shepherd brother, but on down in Cain's lineage, here comes out this person that is identified as the first of those who raise livestock and live in tents. You think Cain would have been happy about that fact? I don't think he was still alive at this time. It's hard to tell through the scriptures getting each person's genealogy in order, how long they lived. But do you think Cain would have been happy with the vocation of his great-great-great-great-grandson? Do we struggle with that? Do we sometimes place our own personal preferences on occupations for generations to come? How many of you have ever thought, I hope my son or daughter doesn't do dot, dot, dot? Yeah, lots of people think that. Yeah, I wouldn't want my son or daughter in this vocation. Because that's not my preference. Well, you may have noticed, especially those of you that have either grown children or teenage children, your children are very different than you, aren't they? They're very different. There's a lot of things that they may, you know, they live in a different generation. They live with different pressures. They live with different preferences. You know, there are occupations today. I couldn't have said, well, I don't want my daughters to go into that because those occupations didn't exist, did they? You know, there's a lot of things that change in society. And we have to realize sometimes God has a purpose for each different generation. Everybody may be one after one. I know families where, especially if they're involved in the military or police or first responders of any type, there are multi-generations there. I know people that their, their dad was a, was a cop, they're a cop, and their son is getting ready to become a cop. So, you know, sometimes it does transfer generation to generation. But in this case, it, it's kind of odd that Cain being murdering the first shepherd winds up with a shepherd in his family. But let's look on a little bit ahead here. Let's jump in our timeline up to Joseph. How many remember who Joseph was? What do you remember about Joseph? Leslie. His brothers hated him. Now they were all shepherds, so it wasn't that, but they did hate him for a reason. His sweater, yeah, he, he had the cool threads. Now, now a lot of us have some really cool Christmas sweaters and shirts and stuff on today. Well, now, Joseph, he had one of those. He had the coat of what? Many colors, yeah. And whatever reason his dad gave him this, Joseph was was undeniably his dad's favorite. Uh, Does that create family strife if somebody's dad's favorite and you're not them? You better believe it, especially in a society where land and things is, is handed down through sons, usually the eldest son, but he's upsetting the whole apple cart. You know, he's kind of he's gotten out of line over here, Joseph has. He's dad's favorite. So look at Genesis 37 too, it says, this is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flock. So Joseph was a shepherd. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilham and Zilpah, But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. This dude is digging a hole for himself, isn't he? Okay, he's already the favorite. It's his half-brothers, technically. And he's telling on them. Does that ever end well? (laughs) No, it's like, uh, yes, Leslie said it. Snitches get stitches. (laughs) Can you see it now? Daddy! Daddy, my brothers are doing so-and-so. Daddy, oh, they're being bad. They're doing bad things. It doesn't say what those bad things were, but hey, you know, sometimes, you know, in modern society, we call it karma, but poor Joseph's fixing to, to find out what happens in this situation in Genesis 37, verses 12 through 14. Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. When they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, Your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready, and I'll send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. 
Go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along. Now, if you're a snitch, that is absolutely having music to your ears that you get to go and report back on what your brothers are doing. And Jacob said, then come back and bring me a report. So Jacob sent him on his way, and Joseph traveled to Shechem from their home in the valley of Hebron. Okay, now, here we have the story set up. Joseph's a shepherd, his stepbrother's a shepherd. He's a bit of a, a tattletale. He doesn't like what his brothers are doing. Dad sends him to go check on them, and he's supposed to bring back a report. Well, did that work out the way Joseph thought it was going to? Nope, nope, did not work out the way it was. The next thing you know, the story, as we all know, is Joseph is sold into slavery. Was that every brother's intent? No, that was kind of the compromise. The first intent was to throw him a pit and say a wild animal ate him. So there was a lot of hatred in that family. And Joseph is oblivious to all this. Now, do you think God had a plan in all this? Woo, boy, did he have a plan. It's a fantastic plan. But do you think Joseph's seeing that? And, and does life not treat us this way? We're walking along unexpectedly doing what we think we're supposed to do. Whether being a tattletale is good or bad in this case, I don't know. But Joseph's walking along, and next thing he knows, his brothers, he's, who he obviously has a strained relationship with, have taken and sold him into slavery. That normally being sold into slavery does not end well, does it? Is that a great life for you? No. Can God use that life? Yes, and that's where the encouragement in this story comes from. We're going to see that Joseph is, is, is bought into a rich family. And they recognize Joseph's abilities as a manager in things. And Joseph rises to the highest of high ranks in Egyptian society. So he comes from being kind of the tattletale shepherd boy with his brothers to being a high-ranking Egyptian official. Well, about that time, a famine strikes the land. Joseph's got plenty. Everything's good in Egypt. They've stored up grain and things. They're, they're serving those around them. His brothers aren't so lucky. Well, Joseph becomes reunited with his brothers. And we won't go into that whole story, but if you like intrigue and crazy stories, go back and read the story of Joseph and his brothers, and he kind of pulls some tricks on them when they come to see him. It's, it's pretty, it, it, it is interesting to see. It wasn't just an immediate, oh, I love you. It's a, like, ah, I'm going to play a little joke on you guys. But his brothers have come to Egypt seeking food. Well, Joseph has finally let them in on the, on the deal that he's a high-ranking Egyptian official. So. But Joseph knows something about the relationships between Egyptians and shepherds. Remember a minute ago that the Egyptians are farmers and they don't like sheep? So Joseph uses that to his advantage. And this is how it's unbelievable how God works out some things. Joseph used the Egyptians' hatred of shepherds to secure his family a place of their own when they came to Egypt. This protected Israel from intermingling and losing their identity in Egypt. <clears throat> because Joseph knew the Egyptians didn't like, especially Israelite shepherds, that they wouldn't want them close to them. So he's like, well, we can use this to our advantage. And also, God was already provisioning for the nation of Israel because he didn't want them to become just part of the Egyptian nation. He wanted them to still be his set-aside chosen people. So he had a very practical way that he, he did this. You know, sometimes God isn't all miracles and parting Red Seas and things like that. Sometimes practicality of things and even people's personal prejudices, God works those things to be in his plan. Let's look at what happens here. Next verse. And Joseph's brothers and to his father's entire family I will go to Pharaoh and tell him, my brothers and my family's entire family have come to me from the land of Canaan. These men are shepherds and they raise livestock. They have brought with them their flocks and herds and everything they own. Then he said, when Pharaoh calls for you and asks you about your occupation, you must tell him, we, your servants, have raised livestock all of our lives as our ancestors have always done. When you tell him this, he will let you live here in the region of Goshen for the Egyptians despise shepherds. What a series of events that God has orchestrated to put his people in the place he wants them to be. He has made all this way to make sure that they have their own place. They're not absorbed by the Egyptian society. And he's provided for them. Do you think God knew there would be a famine? Yeah, he knew. Here's the thing. Why did he have the Egyptians prepare and not his people? Doesn't seem fair, does it? 
We already know that God's favor is on the descendants of Abraham, right? That's who these folks are. So why is he over here giving the Egyptians the knowledge and abilities to store grain and do things like that? And his folks are starving. Do you think God sometimes has a bigger plan than we see? He sure did. This is all a part of the story of Jesus when we look at it as what these shepherds, who these shepherds are and their lineage and what happens. So God's plan was obviously to take care of them. He was using these people to take care of his people. The Egyptians certainly were not believers. Shepherds would certainly not be well received in society. Now, if you knew that, if think, Joseph's been a bit of a practical joker up to this point. Do you want to go and tell the Pharaoh of Egypt, knowing they hate shepherds, hey, dude, we're a bunch of shepherds from Israel. That does not seem like the smartest thing to do, does it? Especially if your brother's a practical joker. You know, have you ever had somebody tell you to do something with just that kind of twinkle in their eye and you know, I shouldn't do this. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you're pulling one on me or you're trying to. I would have felt that way. But no, they went and did exactly what Joseph said. They were given their own land. Now, what is the next step in the nation of Israel? What happens to them with the Egyptians? What winds up happening? Anybody know? They get enslaved. We've all, how many of you seen the movie, The Ten Commandments? That gets fewer and fewer as we get older and older, I've noticed. <laughs> when is it on? Is it Easter or Christmas time? It's Easter. So you'll have to wait till Easter to watch that unless you've got Hulu or Netflix or something. You can go and look up the Ten Commandments with Charles Hanson. It's a great adventure movie. It's not completely historically accurate according to the scripture. But it is the story of how God's people became oppressed by their relationship with the Egyptians. You know, even though they didn't intermingle with them, which is interesting, that's what set up the conflict between them. They were different than the Egyptians. The Egyptians recognized that. And the Egyptians eventually enslaved them to build their cities. So who is the famous Egyptian that was found floating in a basket on the Nile River? Moses. Moses, Moses, Moses. That is the guy that was found floating on a basket. Here's this Israelite baby who has escaped the slaughter because they wanted to kill all newborn Israelites. Kind of familiar to the Christmas story, isn't it? If you don't like your enemies, you kill all the newborn, you kill off the generations of those people. But Moses escaped through, through God's providence and his plan, and Moses was picked up by the Pharaoh's daughter. She adopted him into their own family, and Moses became a royal Egyptian. Okay? So we've got this little story of shepherds, and they come... They bring their flocks to Egypt. They get enslaved. One of their babies is adopted by the Pharaoh then. And that's still this generation of people. A few generations down, but it's still the same people. And they were adopted. Well, Moses became aware. I think God began to impress upon him who he really was. You know, and, God, and Moses started seeing things happen that he didn't like. He realized that these Israelites were truly his brethren. But now, he didn't come right out and say, these are my people, quit abusing them. He kind of didn't know what to do, but Moses had something a lot of us possess. And it's not a spiritual gift, it's what I would call a dark gift. What was one of Moses' thorns in the side? What was something he couldn't control often? Temper, rage, he got mad. Yep, some of us have that problem. It's, it's It's a hard thing to get over sometimes. You know, just reminds me of a great funny story, too. And I, I related it to somebody this week. They were talking about emotions and how they get angry. It reminds me of the story that Rick Warren, Pastor Rick Warren, tells. It's a fantastic story. He says, you know, you say you can't control your emotions and you just get enraged and you can't control that temper. He said, imagine this scenario. You're fighting with your spouse and you're going at it. And you're just hollering and screaming and mad at each other. And the telephone rings. Okay, and you go over, you answer the phone, you go, what do you want? No, 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 no. You go, hello, hi there. Well, yes, he's right here. I'll get him for you. It could be him that answers. That's true. Either one could answer. But either one that answers is going to answer in this non-offensive, nothing's going on way. Does that show you can control that rage if you want to? That's one of the greatest examples I've thought of practically how we all see it work out. That, yeah, you can control it if you want to. The problem is we don't want to. And this got Moses into trouble. Moses saw some of his people, the Israelites, being mistreated, being beaten. And he took things into his own hands and killed the Egyptian that had done that. So 
now Moses is in trouble. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened. This is Exodus chapter 2. And he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. When Moses arrived in Midian, he sat down beside a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters who came as usual to draw water and fill the water troughs for their father's flocks. Okay, here's the first mention that I can remember of shepherdesses. Not all people that tended flocks were men. Women also tended flocks, okay? That's going to kind of throw our image of shepherds a little bit out of bounds, isn't it? Because shepherds are the Navy SEALs of, of Israel. You know, they're the tough guys that are out watching the sheep. They're the men's men. They're dirty, smelly, with long, nasty hair and beards, and they tend the sheep, and they're rough and tough. Now, Moses eventually marries one of these ladies. I hope I didn't describe one of those. <laughs> you know, that's not usually what guys look for in a mate. But maybe so, we don't know. But this is the first mention of ladies being shepherds. And they drew the water for their flocks. When the girls returned to roll, their father, he asked, why are you back so soon? And their answer was, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds, they answered. And then he drew water for us and watered our flocks. Moses had came on to the scene. The shepherds were there, the shepherdesses. An Egyptian rescued them from people that meant to do them harm were doing things to their flocks, weren't letting them get the water. An Egyptian, an Egyptian prince basically came to their rescue. All right. Again, I want you to see the contrast of what God's doing here with shepherds and royalty and all those things, because it weaves through this whole story. We came from Abraham and his people watching flocks. Joseph and his brothers are shepherds. They go forward to Egypt. One of those shepherd boys gets elevated to being in charge of everything in Egypt. Okay. His descendants later become enslaved by those same Egyptians. But one of those descendants of those shepherds is raised as royalty. Moses becomes back up where Joseph is, right? He's in royalty. He's, he's serving with the Pharaoh. He is treated as the Pharaoh's family. But then God brings him back to being what? A shepherd. See how this is just going through ebbs and flows and cycles of how God's using people where he wants to use them and he'll, he'll bring you up and he'll put you in another place. And you know, it's a constant thing throughout scripture. So the next thing we see happening with a, a shepherd is that God speaks to Moses, the shepherd, through a burning bush. God speaks directly to him. It says in Exodus chapter 3, one day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, he led the flock far into the wilderness, looking for grazing land, and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush, and Moses stared in amazement. Through the bush, though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. Again, God interacting in Moses' life in a different way. You talk about somebody that's on a roller coaster of life, I'm Egyptian royalty. I'm being sought because I killed someone. I'm raised sheep out here in the desert. And now God is speaking to me directly, wanting me to do something. That's a crazy life, isn't it? You talk about the ups and downs of life and, and our occupation and what we do. So God does speak to him. Does, a Mo, does Moses immediately say, yes, God, you are, if you're behind me, I can do anything? No, Moses has the same answer that we all would. It's like, oh, me? Uh-uh, no, no, I, I don't speak well, I don't do this. Moses had all the excuses we would have for not wanting to do something. Well, first of all, if you were wanted for killing an Egyptian, that's probably not a comfortable place to go back to. It's like, uh, there's warrants out for you down here at City Hall. I want you to go and speak to those people and tell them how wrong they are. Yeah, that's not usually in our human nature of what we would do. But that's not the way this ends up. Moses has Aaron be his, his spokesperson. And Moses does what? The final result is that people, those descendants of shepherds, are rescued from Egypt. They are brought out of Egyptian society and become their own nation once again, self-ruling. Now, one of the things, and the reason I say the popularity of shepherds kind of ebbs and flows, you know, we went from the patriarchs having sheep and things, and that's how they made their money, and that was a sign of wealth with the size of your flocks and all that sort of thing. Now they've been in Egypt all this time. The Egyptians didn't like shepherds and sheep. So you kind of tend to take up the culture you're living in, don't you? So they began to think that shepherding's not all that great. And at the time of our next person we're going to investigate here in the storyline, when they come along, 
Shepherding is not popular again. They kind of viewed it kind of like the Egyptians. They kind of tolerated it. It wasn't an accepted thing. But our next shepherd we're going to talk about is David. David. David, we remember the story of David. You know, he wasn't a leader. He wasn't a soldier initially. He literally was the shepherd boy next door watching over his father's sheep. He was a nobody as far as society was concerned. Shepherding wasn't a, a, you know, it wasn't like he was part of this big money-making company, which is what shepherding was in the early stories of the, of the Bible. He was just, you know, the kid that helped his dad raise sheep. He wasn't really anybody. But let's look into the story here. Our next passage of, next passage of Scripture. The Lord said to Samuel, who is David's father, How long will you grieve over Saul? And since I've rejected him from being king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and go. Not Samuel was not his father. Samuel was the prophet. And fill your horn with oil and go. And I will send you to Jesse, who is David's father, the Bethlehemite. Bethlehem. That name sounds familiar. Is there something in the Christmas story about a place called Bethlehem? Okay, I just want to make sure Bethlehem. So keep that in mind in the back of your head. For I've provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. Saul's a jealous king. He doesn't like this kind of stuff. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. You know, that passage bothers me a little bit. Isn't God telling Samuel to be deceptive? A little bit? I don't know. I'm kind of having, that, that's kind of an odd thing. Isn't it? God has a plan there. And so... Was the purpose to go and offer sacrifice? That was kind of a secondary purpose, wasn't it? He was really supposed to go and talk to Jesse about his sons. But at any rate, to to calm um, Samuel's fears, God gives him a way to take a heifer and not be so obvious about it. See, God even takes care of our fears, doesn't he? Sometimes when we don't want to do something, do you think God gives us a little extra encouragement and makes the path easier sometimes? It's not always a hard path, is it? Sometimes God does some things for us that we wouldn't expect that he doesn't have to do. God could have just said, no, you tell him I'm the prophet and I'm doing this and that. You know, it's a very different contrast from some of the other stories we see in the Bible. That just kind of struck me as a little different, that, that just like a little extra touch there. So he says, go and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Notice the power of a prophet. Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. Interesting. Samuel was looking for somebody that had some certain characteristics for this role that God had, wasn't he? God had never said, you look for the biggest and the strongest, but he just naturally assumed that's who God was going to use. And he's like, nope, that's not what you're looking at. Don't look at his appearance or his, or his height or anything like that. I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Man, that's a lesson we still haven't learned today, isn't it? We still judge people by their occupation, whether they're a lowly shepherd or they're a ruler, and we treat them differently. And, and God tried to teach us that years and years ago, and we still don't get that, do we? But anyway, in proceeding on the story, then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? In other words, is that all you got? Is that all of them? Who are we going to choose? Jesse answers and says, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. They sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. He was a little boy. Now he was ruddy and And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Notice the thing that is the key is when David was anointed, what was on him? The Spirit of the Lord. God was providing and guiding his life throughout. Now, do you think David is prepared for the role that's to come? 
No. Do you think David thinks he's prepared? No, no. David has no idea what being king of Israel is going to be like. All he sees is how Saul is ruling and that Saul is not going to like God saying somebody's going to take his place and that Saul would probably kill him if he knew. But sometimes God uses our life experiences to shape us uniquely for the work he has for us. Things that we don't ever think, whether it's working in an office, whether it's working as an engineer, whether it's working as a mechanic, whether it's working in retail, whatever it may be, God often uses those experiences to uniquely shape us to do something for him. And we overlook that every day. God sets opportunities in front of us every day, just like he does David. And I think we just don't see them. We're not, we're not looking sometimes. But he had uniquely prepared David for a big thing that he's going to do. <coughs> what has happened is the, the nation of Israel has become under siege by the Philistines. And they have sent their biggest, baddest fighter out. Who did they send out? Goliath. Goliath. Even that name today still reflects bigness and power. He's a Goliath. He's a literal giant. He is someone that, you know, would be up here. And he has come out and he has challenged them and said, who you got to fight me? Come on, bring them out. I'll defeat whoever you've got. Now, who's the most likely candidate to go out there? One of your top military officers. You know, this is a warring society to some, some point. So they had military, they had trained fighters, they had warriors. So who comes up and tells Saul, I'll go do it? David. The little shepherd boy over here says, I'll go do it. I got this. So David says, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go and fight him. Saul replies, don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since your youth. In other words, since you were a kid, this has been a man of war. He will tear you to pieces. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from his mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. He got a little bit of spunk to him, doesn't he? <laughs> Bring him on. I'll take him apart. Another really weird thing about the story of David, though, judging by appearances, would a little shepherd boy be the person you would think that has defeated a bear with a club? Anybody ever been close to a live bear? You know, they're, they're not these little cuddly things that you think they are that come up and they want to snuggle with you like Winnie the Pooh. You know, they're, they're violent, big, aggressive, heavy, strong animals. Lions and lionesses, we see them on, on TV all the time, killing their prey and things. David had defeated these. God had equipped David with some skills that David never knew he was going to need. And he may be equipping us today with skills we may never know that we need. You never know how God is going to use you in life. So as a result of, of David's fiery speech, Saul consents and says, all right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. I wonder how he meant that. <laughs> Did he mean that as, yes, I am praying for you and God's going to send you into battle? It's like, ooh, Lord be with you. May the force be with you, yeah. Star Wars weekend. But, you know, you do wonder how he meant that. But David goes on, and he kills the Philistine, and that sets him on his path to be the king of Israel. God allowed David to rise from a shepherd boy to being the king of Israel. Uh, look at the next verse. It says, Now therefore, thus you say, shall say to my servant David, Thus say the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. What a story. Again, we've gone from shepherds to royalty, back to shepherds, continuing to be a shepherd. Now we've made you king of Israel through this line of people that Jesus has descended through, taking care of them through this. Now, David's popularity as king improved the image of shepherds for a short time. You know, shepherds looking pretty good. You know, God took this shepherd kid over here and made him the rock star of Israel because that's what David was. Everybody loved him. Everybody loved David. He was the guy. He was popular. He was a warrior. He was, a, you know, he was the king. And, you know, he came from the ranks of shepherds. Maybe we should pay more attention. Those shepherds aren't so bad. But that's kind of one of those short things, live things. As long as David was alive, that was good. 
But then we went back to shepherds just kind of being those guys. They tended sheep, didn't do a whole lot else. God really wasn't using them. But there was a prophecy that said a shepherd who will rule over Israel has been prophesied to come from where? That little town back there that we were talking about, Bethlehem, a few minutes ago. There's going to be a shepherd that comes out of there that's going to rule over Israel. What do you think? I already got that. That was David. That's it. That's, that's the prophecy. Said and done. It's over. But listen to Matthew 2, 6. It says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This prophecy still here. This is in Matthew. It's talking about there's going to be a shepherd that comes that rules over all of Israel. You've got to remember, this is still Old Testament prophecy. Jesus hasn't arrived yet, so the Gentiles, us, aren't even included in this plan at this point. But here we get to the Christmassy part of the story this morning. It says, the birth of Jesus was first announced to who? Shepherds. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. City of David. Who was from, where was David from? Bethlehem. The city of David prophesied long ago that the shepherd who would rule Israel would come from Bethlehem, would be one of David's descendants, and he is now here. Mark talked about this a little bit when the story of the innkeeper about the circumstances revolving around Jesus' birth. And it it sparked my interest. And I did a little more research uh, on what Mark had said there because I always try and prove him wrong. No. (laughs) You always got to keep the preacher on his toes, you know. No, seriously, it it was an interesting story about what the innkeeper really was and where the inn was. And there's, there's some more development there that, again, supporting what Mark said, it may have not been a nasty, dingy stable. It may have even been just a room on the house, okay? It may have just been, because if you look, there's a lot of times that people go and they get a, a, a sheep for sacrifice. They were still in the, in the Old Testament covenant where they were doing sacrifices to God. Well, do you think they all went, went five miles away to go grab a sheep out of the pasture and bring him in? No, poor families in that society kept their animals with them at the house. So it may have been that Mary and Joseph were even just in a separate room here in a home. And where I want to bring this to you is something that, that I found in this, the city of David, okay? We all know that there's a prophecy coming from here. There is something really special about being a direct descendant of David, right? That's, he's still remembered as the king and who he was and what he did. So it's a very special thinking, thing in society. Even the shepherds would have understood this. So here we have Joseph, who is in the direct lineage of David, the great king David. Do you think that people would have been all right and said, well, just go out there and have your kid in the smelly stable. I don't care. He was, he was important. People would have realized that Joseph was important. Even the shepherds, you know, this, this is from a book called Jesus Through Jewish Eyes, and it's talking about the society and the customs. They would have felt great shame on themselves if they had left Jesus in that situation. If the shepherds had come, and he's out in a cold, nasty stable with the animals around him, and it smells like, you know, cow manure, they wouldn't have left him there. They would have taken him into their homes. Something would have happened there because of the importance of who this baby was. And they realized that God had revealed to them the very king that had been prophesied. So just another little hint of what Mark taught him. I think that's very interesting. It kind of messes up our westernized view of what the innkeeper and the nativity was all about. But now we have the ultimate shepherd has come. Through all these things, through the ups and downs, through being the line coming down through Abraham and through his descendants, through David, the ups and downs of all of society have now all landed on God himself, sending his son, his incarnate self, to earth. And he describes him as what? A shepherd. A shepherd that rules. Interesting thing. John 10, 11 through 15. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. That's a testimony to what's going to happen in Jesus' life, that he lays down his very own life for us as the good shepherd. Reminds me a lot of that story back here that we told about David, doesn't it? When, when things would come, when evil things would come against the, the sheep and they couldn't protect themselves, who did it for them? The shepherd. David, the shepherd did. And just as those things that come in our lives, those trials and things that happen to us. Now, Jesus is that good shepherd. Another passage here on down in John chapter 10. John answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you're not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand, and I and the Father are one. This whole story about sheep and shepherds and and how God takes care of us through our lives here as humans, culminates in Jesus coming as flesh, just like all these people before him, experiencing the emotions and the trials and the things that these people did. And God, and he came through this lineage of these shepherds, and he became the ultimate shepherd in our lives even today. And I've just got one more thing here, and I'll be finished, but um, the Lord is, Lord is my shepherd. How many of you have ever heard that? Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. Psalms 23. There's a lot of comfort in that verse, isn't there? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. Those are things that were two very important things to sheep. Well, obviously they needed, this was really about their sustenance. We sometimes make it a little bit different than that. But they needed green pastures to be fed, didn't they? They had to be fed somehow, so God took them to the green pastures. Sheep would not drink from rushing waters, so he leads them beside the still waters. <coughs> and I think we kind of see that as this idyllic pasture now that God is, is, is shepherding us through. But it doesn't really necessarily mean it's idyllic. It just means that God takes care of our needs, doesn't it? Does God always take care of your needs the way he wants, you, he wants them done? You want them done? No, absolutely not. God has a different plan there, and he often takes care of us in ways that we don't recognize. But it does say here that, that the Lord, Jesus, the great shepherd, he's going to take care of us. He's going to watch through us through those trials and tribulations, those, those times when we're depressed, those times when things aren't going in day-to-day life the way we want them to. We see guys here that were used mightily in Scripture, and life didn't go the way any of them planned. It was not what they thought it would be. Everybody was being moved along a path and what i've tried to do is weave that through this whole story this morning so you can see that plan that god has we come down we're called what sons of god right are we are we in his adopted family now we're not stepchildren are we there's no fighting we're not the stepchildren we're adopted into god's family so that means that is our story as well we're part of this history we are now today right here as a group as journey church we're in the story just as all of these people are in the story. And sometimes I think we overlook the significance of each of our lives and what God may have planned for us and the things that we may not even see that he can use us greatly. And I wanted to close out this morning with this final passage of Scripture because it deals with elders. We're going to be soon having our, we've nominated our elders and everything and we're going to bring that before the church and bring them, them forward. And I just wanted you to hear this about what the expectations about elders are and pastors. So it says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, in other words, not because you have to, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful game, don't be in it for yourself, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, in other words, not holding it over your heads, I'm the boss, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So when Jesus comes back, 
It's a heavy role. It's something that's important to God. It's something that, that he sets us apart to do. But it's not for us. It's for you. It's so that we can serve you as shepherds in the church, the flock here, all of us. And we all have roles to play. And I just encourage you this Christmas season to think through this story this morning about the greatness of this story that's, that we're fixing to culminate and celebrate on what Wednesday as Christmas Day is here. That God has had such a plan through all eternity for what God's going to do. And he used people as lowly as shepherds to accomplish that plan. People that were not thought well of at times in Scripture. So surely if he can use those people, he's got a plan for every one of us here this morning. You know, and we need to maybe make that our goal as we, as we go forward for this day, looking towards a new year, is to ask God, what would you have me do? If you've got something you want me to do, show it to me. Because often I think we get so wrapped up in, in you know, we're kind of like the shepherds where we're so busy tending the sheep and putting out fires and, and making sure that everything's not going in different directions. We also often use the term today, herding cats, <laughs> instead of herding sheep, because it's like that things are just going in all directions out of control. I think God's got a better plan than that for us. And maybe part of that chaos is part of his plan. But I think we need to pray about that as we, as we move forward into this new year and as we, we look at the things that God has done for us. And let's look at the things that he, we, he would have us do for him. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the blessings and all you've done for us, God. I just pray this morning that you'll, you'll take this, this lesson about people that could even be seen as outcasts in society, God, that you will take this and, and help us to apply it to our lives, God, so that we can see what you have done throughout Scripture and that we're a part of a much bigger story that... that there's a story that's so much bigger than we are, yet you have allowed us the privilege to participate in your story, the story of your lineage, the story of the birth of your son, and that he came to die in our place and die for our sins, God, so that we didn't have to suffer the punishment for what we've done. But if we would only believe in Jesus Christ, that he is your son and did what he said he did, Lord, that you will allow us to be saved and be parts of your families, adopted children, God, that we are one of yours. You are now our father. Jesus is ours. And I just pray this morning, God, if anybody hasn't made that decision, Lord, that as we reflect on these things during this special time of year, God, that you'll burden their hearts that, you know, to, to follow you, God, and that, that you have a plan for us. It may seem like we're just a bunch of people watching sheep and going through the motions of life, but God, you've got a much bigger plan, just as you did for each of those shepherds in this story. You've got a plan for us, God, and I just pray that plan will become a reality to all of us, God. And we'll seek you, Lord, and we'll ask you constantly, what would you have me do, God, for you? And just pray that as our, as our Christmas wish this year, Lord, that we'll, we'll look to you for those things in Jesus' name.